Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. We are back, Chelsea fans, with part two of this week's London Is Blue podcast. That is right. After a week off, we are hitting the ground running. No missteps along the way. No, Sir Dan. We are here for the double shift yet again. Well, much like a double shot of espresso, which I know Nicholas is a fan times two. And it uh, it's, it feels good to be back. You know, stretch those, uh, stretch those arms, stretch those legs, answer some questions. That is correct, Dan. Let's let's fire it up, huh? Let's... It sounds like you're missing that double shot right now. I am. You sure? I... You, you you need to get one of those. Let's get one. You know, I just I went straight from the 6:30 a.m. start Central Time yesterday through to like midnight without a, a nap. So your your boy's a little tired, but he's he's gonna make it. All right, awesome. Well, let's just jump into it and go uh, real quick. No iTunes, no Patreon. It's part two. It's what happens. But I would say look for our JT. Um, I don't say memorial, right? But I look back at his retrospective. Yeah, retrospective. <laughs> He's podcast. not dead. <laughs> exactly. I, did, I didn't know where to go with that. Um, a tribute. Can we tribute. call it a tribute? Yeah, a tribute. All right. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Anyways, uh, but before we get into all of your questions, uh, we're getting, you know, we're running out of time, Nick, to uh, promote this trip to our fellow listeners, thankfully, because we have so many people already signed up. Correct. Yeah. Over 20 people are going to be joining. The four of us, uh, Mike included, in London for the New Year holiday. We are really excited about this. We uh, know how fun these trips are and, and are just pumped to, to be back in London and kind of around our, our favorite part of the city. So, um, you know, first things first, uh, the dates of the matches changed. And so want to make sure that everyone is, is aware that instead of the uh, 29th and the 1st, so 29th, uh, being away at Crystal Palace and the first being home to Southampton. Those dates have changed to December 30th and uh, January 2nd. So just a, a bit of a bump, uh, a little bit more time to uh, recover after New Year's Eve, which is nice. Um, so we'll be doing a bunch of you know New Year's Eve planning and trying to figure out what the best spots are going to be. 
and uh, and just excited to uh, to take in a couple of matches with our with our friends. So uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, we're we're kind of running out of spots on the trip, but would love to uh, to uh, talk to you guys and, and to make sure that we have everything kind of covered off. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, DM us on Twitter or Instagram or email us contact at london is blue podcast.com and we'll figure it out and we're just ready to roll it's you know a little uh a little over two months away which is crazy yeah and obviously the biggest thing is if you have any interest at all whether or not you think you'll be able to make it or not now is the time to reach out so that if you do end up going everything is set up and prepared for you all right well right off the bat we do have our lovely lovely crew from patreon hitting us up with the questions again if you want your questions answered Every single time, and you want them at the top, you hit us up on Patreon. Uh, All of our members get this perk. So at the beginning, we have Reed who says, Let me start by saying I love, World Cup winning, N'Golo Kante. What are we doing to him right now is a travesty. He is being played in a position that he is not equipped to play. We are wasting his talent, and we are playing a man short offensively. Actually, too short when Murata's in. <laughs> Shots fired! <laughs> playing Conte up is like playing Hazard at left center back. He was player of the year two years running. If we can't play him where he can be successful, shouldn't we sell him and get an offensive-minded center mid? Nick, what do you think about all of that wrapped up nicely from our boy, Reed? Reed, first of all, go Big Red, my man. Um Finally, after Schneid, feels good. Uh, and I know you are a Husker fan as well. So just wanted to hit you with that. Um, look, we, we've talked about N'Golo a bunch on the show. He's never going to, in this system, end up playing where Jorginho's playing um, because that's just not the way the system flows. Uh, you did see him take a, a rip at goal yesterday, which was nice. And I think, you know, on another day against another keeper, that might have gone in. Uh, so. You know, I just want to see him continue to grow offensively. Uh, I think what he's doing in the high press is really important to the way that the team is playing. It's making our opponents really uncomfortable playing out of the back. And and to me, if we can get a couple of cheap turnovers because of that, um, then that really helps the team too because we, we regain control of the ball quicker and I think just, you know, put a seed of doubt in the opponent's back line that they can play out of the back, and that's always helpful. Uh I, I do understand why people are so frustrated with the lack of goal uh, output from his position and, frankly, from Kovacic's position, too, because both, you know, should be, you know, firing on, on goal more than they do. Uh, but, no, I, I don't think you, you know, unless unless he becomes a, a malcontent, which I don't think he will ever do because that's not his personality, I don't think you ever sell a – you know, a world 11 type of player, unless you are going to bring in a world 11 type of player coming back in the role that you specified. So if you were to do that exercise, would we able, would we ever be able to get an Isco or would we ever be able to uh, get a Tiago or would we ever be able to get that level of player back? Because that's what he is um, and and could be valued at for another team. So uh, no, I, I don't think so. And, you know, I think it's up to, you know, the other players like William Pedro, Murata, uh, Giroud, uh, those four in particular to pick up the slack and to start scoring goals. So we'll see. Dan, I know you don't like N'Golo and you want Barkley to go in for him. And that's actually <laughs> what Tom was saying. What? I'm going to pull Tom's into this. <laughs> he was saying that, you know, uh, against the United, playing N'Golo Kante makes sense. Uh, and he said he almost lost his mind when he let that ripper go. It's a great hit. It's a great save by De Gea from N'Golo Kante. Um, but he's saying uh, maybe in different matches and, and, and to rotate, do you think that it makes sense that we will see the Kovacic, Jorginho, uh, Barkley midfield pivot at different times during the season? He's not saying it should be the go-to day in, day out. Um, but do you feel comfortable enough if that were to be the case with Barkley and Kovacic in there? I, I don't know if I necessarily like that as much. I mean, there's still so much that N'Golo Conte does in terms of closing down the ball. I mean, you know, the, the, the gang impress that Klopp does is really about closing down the player, you know, sorry, and what he does is closing down really the lane. So you don't have to be fully on top of the player 
Uh, and that's where, you know, Golo Kante shines is that, you know, he is so quick to move towards shutting it down and forcing, you know, a player to either make a mistake or turn over the ball, as Nick alluded to earlier, that I think with Kovacic and Barkley on there, you're losing, you know, what makes N'Golo Kante great and what he contributes to helping win the ball back, help us maintain possession or win back possession in a way that neither of those two really offer. Uh, I still like the idea of seeing Barkley for Kovacic, at least right now, while we're still trying to figure out what the hell we do uh, with our kind of attacking three. All right. And now from Akshay I saying, are we about to see another example of the problem with not having a director of football starting to seem like Cahill is leaving in January, which Akshay thinks that we should let him go because he's given us everything. And now Christiansen wants out as well. It's going to leave us with just Ampadu as cover, for which means we're going to go out and spend... 45 to 65 million on a defender like Christensen, who's really not going to play. And he says it's ridiculous because we need to spend that 45 to 65 on a striker, a center forward, or a winger, which is much more necessary than a center back at this posi- at this point in the season. So, Dan, I know you talked a little bit about um, how the director of football was the bigger problem and why we don't have. Uh, you know, the striker or maybe the the personnel that we need. So based on Akshay's kind of discussion, one, I don't think Christensen is going to go. Like you said, we're not going to have enough depth at center back to, to allow everyone to leave. And like he says, this now comes to if we don't let them go, that money needs to be invested in our attack. Yeah, and, and this is where like player personnel and player management is you know, the other side of the business. You know, it's not just about what Mauricio Sarri can do with the players that he's afforded on the pitch for ninety minutes every every mat, you know, every week or every multiple times per week based upon fixture schedules. This is truly emblematic of where, where Chelsea have not had a cohesive strategy. And are now running up against you know, Gary Cahill leaving, leaving, which I think is again, as Brandon said, the right decision. And now Christensen wanting to play um, as any player would, especially when you look at uh, situations like uh, you know Sancho and uh, you know BVB. Um, you're seeing you know, other kind of uh, Reese Nelson, other players who are younger who've gone to other leagues that are continuing to play. Uh, Thorgan Hazard, I think, is a great example. Uh, playing you know right wing for Munchen Gladbach right now. Uh, goal and two assists in this last match here. Like the Premier League, for whatever reason, and specifically at the top six or seven clubs, has been really difficult for players to progress into starting positions and maintain or hold them down. Um, partially due to a win win now mentality, um, which means there's less risk or less desired risk for who you play. And if you know Luis and Rudiger were there and you were at the World Cup, it unfortunately put you in a position to be behind them. Um, but yeah, I think push is going to come to shove at a certain point here, uh, whether it's the results, whether it's the form, or whether it's just a person getting hired into this position, Nick, who's going to right the ship a bit and hopefully smooth things over with a couple of our key players, Christensen, Ampadu, Callum Hudson-Odoi, and, and a few other academy starlets or those on loan like Mason Mount to ensure that they've got a really structured pathway so we can not spend on areas where we don't need players and invest like, you know, uh, Akshay is saying into the positions we actually need to. Yes. So like an an example of that would be, you know, why spend another 45 to 65 million for a Christensen level talent? So why don't we keep him, figure out a way for him to get into the first team more regularly and then spend that money on a striker who can score Goals. I think Dan. I believe they're called goals. Is that right? Um, uh, they they are called goals. Is that um, the, okay? That's the right pronunciation. It's been a while, um, so we need to figure that out. Uh, Joe Tweeds has been on our show multiple times, and here's a sneaky preview for people uh, who who listen to this part of the show. Uh, we're going to be working with him on on a little you know pod special coming up. So so wink wink nudge nudge on that. Uh, but he's been preaching this for a couple of years to us and it makes, you know, kind of fiscal sense. It makes development sense. You know, there's been so much money invested in our Academy program, Brandon, that why not figure out a way to use some of these guys? Obviously not all of them are going to be first, you know, team caliber quality players, but like, you know, we, it just seems ridiculous that all these players are leaving. It's, um, 
it's kind of the dream of of a lot of the teams is to build this kind of uh, manufacturing line of players. But as we've you know seen, it's a massive, massive jump. We haven't figured out yet. Hopefully, that director of football can come in and and just help smooth out that process. That's just the goal everyone wants. All right, from Eric on the text saying, tactical question here. It's clear that Mourinho was following the same plan of persistent fouling on Eden Azar to take him out of the game by Ashley Young. Should Sarri have moved him to the other wing in the second half or played him up top and brought on Pedro from Morata? Just thought the fouling clearly impacted Hazard in the second half. Well, I think we talked about that. We tried to make the switch. Could you imagine that if you're William on the right side by Maurizio and he goes, hey, Willie, I need you to go change with Eden. Bring him over here. Why? He's getting kicked too much. Oh, so you want me to go get kicked instead? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, sure, sure, boss. Yeah, sure thing, boss. I got it. <laughs> Can't wait. You know, um, I was just kind of thinking about that from like a, <laughs> if I was in the moment being like, I'm sorry, you want a what? Uh, okay. Anyways, I, I, I think that it's not something you can get away with, right? If it weren't Ashley Young, it would have been Luke Shaw. You know what I'm saying? If, you know, um, it, it could have been Chris Smalling, could have been, um, I don't know, whatever, the other Swedish guy. It, it, it didn't Lindelof. matter where... And, yeah, Lindelof. It doesn't matter where it was. He's going to get kicked. That was just the the tactic that was set up and that we've seen. And so I don't know what more you could really do about that. Wherever you put him on the field, they had a plan to take him out of the game. Or he even talked about it at the end of the match. He was proud how they had essentially man-marked Jorginho and kicked Eden Hazard out of the game so that that way they weren't able to have a big impact. I mean, he was very open with that, but you realize that those are the two critical pieces of this sorry ball puzzle. And if you can disrupt them, then you're always going to have a significantly better chance than if Georgina's out there just pinging around, you know, passes for fun and Ed Nazar is finding space and running at people. That's not what anyone wants when they play Chelsea. That is correct. And look, we knew that there would be some sort of tactical nuance uh, played on Eden Hazard today. He's been too good to not draw that kind of attention uh, I think, you know, we, we kind of accept that now as like a tactic that opposing managers use. What you would hope would be that it would open up if you have two or three players focused on him. If he's not able to have the impact that he would normally be able to have, that it would open up space and opportunity for a striker, for a right winger, for our midfield to get in and force United to take away uh, you know, the double, triple teams and, and to spread out their defense in a more traditional sense. So, uh, again, I, I would put a lot of that uh, onus on the other players in our attack. And, you know, hopefully we can learn from this experience and, and move forward. All right. What about, I mean, there's a lot of striker discussion guys here still, right? Ugo saying that Giroud should start in the league. Murata should say should start in cup games. Peter saying, what can Sarri do to solve the lack of goals from the forwards problem? And by forwards, I mean the front three. I feel like Hazard's form has masked our finishing issues. Uh, Richard getting in on that as well. And um, I, I just, I mean, how much more can we talk about it? It's it's a massive issue. I would be so surprised, Nick, if the club weren't, um, you know, even a few weeks ago looking into alternative solutions at this point. There was a funny article uh, posted, uh, and I, I think it was Bleacher Report maybe, about how, um, and you know, in this fake scenario, Iguain would make his way to Chelsea, and it was a parody, and it wasn't meant to be taken, you know, seriously. But you know, if you were looking for a, you know, a quick fix and a a system fit, even at his age, and even you know, with you know, the likelihood that his production will not reach the heights that he was in in Napoli, uh, you could see that scenario kind of building right now. You know, it's it's just kind of clear. That we need another option, and if Batshuayi is not um, going to be kind of in consideration for that, then we need to go find someone else who can do it. And you know, whatever will will you know allow the team to flow the way that you know we hope they can, and what Sorry Ball you know has shown us. Uh, it, when I guess when when he was at Napoli would be you know preferred to me and so you would hope that Murata and Giroud could be that but if they're not able to be then we need to go find someone who can do it Dan yeah I, I think you know as, as Brandon alluded to it's not just the 
the striker. I think it is the entire front three. And I think it's a good point being made that ultimately Hazard is masking some of the attacking deficiencies we have because I don't think Pedro or William, you know, is the long-term solution both on the wrong side of 30 to truly push this, you know, club forward and push this attack forward. You know, I think we we're seeing lots of great links, you know, in the the winter about or the summer rather before the season started about, you know, Martial or about uh, Leon Bailey. Um, you know, Thorgan Hazard is a name that pops up again because obviously his brother plays here. Like there, there are um, options. You know, I think Hudson Adoy is, is more naturally on a left winger, so I mean he would be more of a backup to Hazard as how you want to think of him. But if you look the way the bench is maintained currently. Uh, we don't ride with a lot of attackers on it. It's very midfield heavy. Um, so it's a ton of midfielders who play on our bench. Uh, and then you have you know a, a striker, a winger, uh, most midfielders, a center back, and uh, a goalkeeper. So there's not a lot of, it's seemingly spots for competition. So I think it's about understanding in January, you know, who's moving off at the end of the season? You know, who's, who's get ready to you know, leave? Who's going to be moving off? so that we can truly either sign the players we need to or roll the dice for the next six, you know, you know, five months essentially, and then try to get it all sorted at the beginning of next summer because it's, it is the thing that is going to hold us back from being able to challenge Manchester City and Liverpool in the way that our results are allowing us to do so uh, far in advance of where we should be. I mean, I think we're getting spoiled by some initial success um, I think the last couple results were a good reminder that this is nowhere near the completed project that Sari still is going to have a lot of work to do with this team uh, tactically. And part of that is going to also be complemented by what the board can do with players and personnel. So I'm not going to lie. I didn't listen to all that because I didn't want to forget Iguain's stats. <laughs> I'm going to add fuel to the fire. He's got four goals in five matches. Ruh row. He's om- almost 31. So Nick... <laughs> As we laugh about this, he's still producing. But to be fair, that's Italy. Probably no chance he can go from Italy to the Premier League. So we'll just bury that one. <laughs> so Aldemaro saying, no matter how well we play, if we can't put teams away, we will have these kinds of problems. I know that's not in the form of a question, but it's perhaps the biggest one we need to answer. Dan, we talked about this, the killer instinct, the clinicality, the finishing Look, this is just one big theme. It's finishing, it's putting the ball in the back of the net, and we created the chances, right? If we go back to the stats I rattled off in uh, part one, you had 21 shots, six of them on target, two of them went in. It's not good. It's not, it's not good enough, and we'll keep on beating the drum, and hopefully from the beating of the drum on our podcast to... Um, the person or people that can make the ultimate impact at Chelsea um, will hear the beat and go ahead and acquire the right players, Nicholas. Correct, Dan. I'm in. <laughs> how, many, how many goal scorers do you guys think we need? So I'm thinking of like Liverpool have their attacking three who all have a goal, goal threat. City have, I would say, at least three people who you know can bury the ball. United, depending on the day, right? Like to be fair, Rashford and Martial and... Um, um, whatever the other guy, yeah, they're all kind of inconsistent. Tottenham, I mean, they're heavily reliant on Kane. I'm not. You get goals from Christensen every now and then. Um, Son gives you some, but my, I guess my point, you know, Arsenal, they're a bit of an outlier because they play with about five strikers. You know, you, you meant Ericsson, right? <laughs> yeah, Ericsson. Um, but like for Chelsea standpoint. It, I, three seems to be the number. If you had three goal-scoring threats, you shouldn't have an, a problem getting to a you know for competing for a league title. So if you have Ed Nazard, if Pedro can come back, you're really just looking for one, which we pinpointed as a striker, or it could be a midfielder. You could play with Giroud. He could go all season like the World Cup, not score any goals. But if he were a provider and a creator, then. It, 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 hypothetically, the system could work. Yeah, but you also you, you didn't, hypothetically. <laughs> I mean, I think the set piece thing is what's throwing me off in that scenario because you know I would assume that a Giroud or Morata, both you know adequately you know big and tall, um, would be a bigger threat on set pieces, and neither one seems to 
really have it. Um, I know that Giroud scored, you know, one goal off a set piece against Liverpool last year, but, um, you know, that's what my memory is telling me. Uh, there could be another, but still, it would seem to me like there are opportunities if, if open play is not their strong suit to, to impact the game and, and neither one really does it there either. So I don't, I don't know what the problem is, but, uh, you have to be a goal threat in every situation and, you know, if, if Willian's going to be a goal threat by providing the ball, then you need someone a la Rudiger, a la, you know, anyone else to be able to put it in the back of the net. And we don't have that consistently either. I mean, it, it, you're, you're operating with a hand tied behind your back. Um, and, you know, if you're going to go into a fist fight and you have one fist and the other player, you know, the individual has two, uh, it's not going to go well for you. It is not a good position to be in. So, um, as much as you know, William and Pedro uh, both have positives, and if you merge them together, uh, probably would be the complete player that we're looking for. Uh, that is actually not scientifically possible at this day and age. Uh, we are not in the year uh, 2185, so uh, we are going to go out and have to invest in uh, the appropriate player um, because it's, it's, it's not there. It's not there in the team. Uh, there's not one immediately available in the academy as much as you would love ha- you know, Calum Hudson-Odoi to be that guy. Uh, he, you know, he's the left side guy. We need, we need to find someone to play on the right uh, and as well as, again, beat the drum and say that, there, you know, a striker is required. Uh, I mean, obviously there's a lot of love about, um, I think it's Piatek at uh, Genoa is one that is people are looking at now. Uh, Akari at, is another one at, uh, you know, Inter Milan. Uh, Higuain is one that we were linked with previously. It probably doesn't fit the club's profile of who they'd like to buy. I mean, so there are names out there. There are names of people that the club is is most assuredly scouting and considering and weighing up options for. It's just going to be a matter of pulling the trigger uh, and then also extraditing ourselves from the mess we're in with Murata because he is, uh, you know, too highly compensated and um, was, you know, much money was spent to get him in here. uh, And there's not going to be able to reclaim uh, a lot of that investment to, uh, to capture him. My dream is Dybala, but that's not going to happen either because Juventus are miserable to work with. All right. Just a shout out to Brad saying there's no way we can challenge for the title without a striker. Seems pretty nonsensical. You know, it seems very level-headed. I'm impressed. Good for you. We appreciate that. It's not, it's not nonsensical, Brandon. It's very it's, sensible. It's, yeah. Well, whatever. Double negative in there? Struggling uh, with mo- words today, Brandon. Struggling with moving words. Moving to Instagram, Polly mm. Cracker says, does this feel like a good point to you or two points dropped? He waffles back and forth, Nick. Uh, someone who likes to take a hard line on things. One point, two points. I feel like it was it was a point earned. I don't feel like it was a good point. I feel like it was a point earned. Um, but we played so bad in the second half that, you know, you know I... I didn't think we were going to get any points out of this at all. And I don't know why we played bad in the second half. We dominated the first half. Uh, it was complete and utter dominance. I think we had like 68% of the ball in the first half. Uh, so I don't know, Dan, what, what are your thoughts? I definitely feel like it was a, a point that we scrapped away with. I, I, you know, you felt like you were winning. You felt great. You felt the draw. Oh, maybe we're going to get it back. Um, so then, and then you go to losing any point, um, you know, like the live lead table, you're not going to get anything. So, you know, you always hope for three, but to walk away with one against, uh, you know, what you would typically call a top six side, even though they're in the 10th, 10, 10th spot right now, <clears throat> you know, um, it feels like a good point to, to walk away with, especially with the narrative structure of the game, you know, 96 minute, 97, 98 minutes of full time played in the game. It was fun. I just, I don't like it. I think it's two points lost. I think you go into this match off an international break, which maybe that was a bad thing for us. But I mean, all the discussions, is Mourinho going to lose his job because they're so bad? United don't even look like they're going to play for their manager, which by the way, this shows that players will play in big games no matter what the situation is. Because they'll probably go play Brighton or someone next week and lose points. It just the way Chelsea's form versus United's form and Chelsea at home against United. I just, even with everything that happened today, still think it's two points dropped. Like Chelsea weren't good enough. If Chelsea would have played the way that we've seen Chelsea play this season, they should have put that one away, you know, dead and buried, no problem. So I, 
I guess I'm trying to take it more holistically with like the expectations going into it and a little bit of the actual game itself. But to me, like that, like Liverpool City, maybe not City, that might be more of a rivalry match, but like Liverpool will go in and smash United, is my thought. Like Chelsea should have gone and done the business on them. They're right for the picking, and we just didn't, unfortunately, which is a follow up to um, where we go here. To Grandmaster Jay on Instagram saying the international break seemed to kill Sorry Ball today. Nick, I mean, Sorry talked about a little bit after the match saying that, you know, they went away and played a different style of football for a couple weeks now that they come back and tried to transition. Do you think that that's like a viable reason for maybe why Chelsea couldn't put in 90 minutes of Sorry Ball today? Or is it not uh, that simple? Uh, I, I mean, look, I, I'm not telling you that these, like, useless international breaks are good because we all hate them. Um, but like, I don't think it can be an excuse either. You know, what's happening. You know what the, uh, what the schedule looks like well in advance. And, you know, Chelsea are in a position unlike, you know, Fulham or, you know, some of the, the, you know, the Huddersfields of the world where we have a lot of players who are internationals. So it's just part, part and parcel with being at a club this big. Uh, you know, I just don't, I don't think it can be that much of an excuse. Maybe the legs being a little tired could be because, you know, you're, you're playing a couple extra matches. But, you know, I, I don't know. It just se- it seems like excuse making to me. Um, clearly, the players need more time in the system. And the more drilled they are, the better they become. So I'm not taking that away. But, I mean, you know what the schedule is. You know, let's just, let's just be real about that. It, it's... It, there's no excuse to play a really, really dominant first half and then come out in the second half, half and act like you've never, you know, seen a team like United fight back to try and get a point before. Like it just, it felt like there was no energy, no fight, and you know the team has to do better than that. Frankly, fight. We got to fight for your right. No. All right. No. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Dan, I, I, so I was trying to stall for you to come in on the international break excuse if you want to call it that well um you know i i was taking a break from uh, having to respond all right that. well uh, we can put you on pause that's fine uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah vocal it, cords so so overused with the extra podcasts we recorded the retrospective <laughs> it's an excuse it's a it's a terrible excuse so Thank we had quite Quite a few questions, but I'll pull Ace underscore A Weiss on Instagram saying, William has been average for so long now, needs to be dropped. Other people were nicer about it. Um, this just be the one that happened to be in front of me at this point. I mean, Dan, maybe you can unpause your vocal cords a little bit uh, with the William thing. Uh, it it kind of, we waffle back and forth on, are we expecting too much from him? Uh, are we asking him to be something that he isn't? It's just it's it's a tricky situation with William. Obviously, we're probably a little bit biased because we got to sit down and interview him, and he was lovely. He's an unbelievably nice person. But when it comes to performances on the pitch, has he been average to you? Well, uh, so I, I think there there's an important part, which was the second question you asked: is like, are we expecting, um, are we expecting the right thing from him? And if you're saying that we you know, to jump to earlier in our conversation where we discussed the idea that we want more goals from our attackers. Uh, If we are expecting more goals from a player who does not get into double-digit scoring, yet we're looking across this entire front line to score more goals, then yes, we are expecting more than what William is capable of offering. And I think, again, when it comes down to like player personnel and evaluation, you know, when we look at what we want to bring into this side, there's a lot of things in terms of the uh, the elusiveness, the uh, you know some of the ability from you know free ball kicks. Uh, you know, obviously there's been a little bit off target recently, and he's sharing responsibility now with uh, Louise or Alonzo, uh, so he's not directly replied up you know uh, relied upon for that at this point in time. But we need to take like the good things of William, the uh, the pace, the the, the trickery. The, um, you know, kind of just the willingness to go at it for, you know, long periods of time uh, and then add the additional elements beyond. Like it's not good enough just to bring in another um, winger who maybe is five years younger and does the exact same thing and doesn't have, you know, a, you know, near or plus 10 goal a season average in him. Like that, that is what we need to target as a personnel difference. And 
Like, William is not going to take Chelsea back into being a contender um, in winning the Premier League every season and being a Champions League contender. Like, he, he is not that caliber of player for Chelsea at this point in his career. He may have been at some point, um, but he is not presently. Full stop. Damn, you you went you went in on him. Uh, I mean, I went in as hard as Mata went in on. Uh, okay, today. <laughs> you're all about like the the follow up punches. Like you yeah. deliver something reasonable, and then we are like, yeah, that wasn't bad. Like, yeah, it wasn't <laughs> as bad as your. Well, okay, all right. <laughs> I see the counterattack punches. I, I like it. Um, keep me on my toes. That is for sure. Uh, let's see. All right, we got a couple more that I would I would push through. Um, so I'm Luckman again. It's kind of talking about a mentality thing. He says it's not a question, but I just wanted to note that if we continue with being complacent, we'll lose more points. After our first goal, we stopped playing. United was never in the game due to our complacencies. We found ourselves conceding two unnecessary goals and needing extra effort to draw a game or control of. Now, Nick, I actually don't know if it was complacency. Chelsea. Are actually, you know, one of the stats that even the announcers are saying going into the the end of the matches, Chelsea have scored X amount of goals in the last 15 minutes. And I've even talked about this that Chelsea, they play the entire match, never say die attitude. We are going to get in that third, fourth, fifth goal this season and in other games early in the season against the smaller teams. I don't know. Do you think it's complacency? Do you think there's an attitude issue with this team uh, under Mitsu Sari? Or was it just kind of a, hey, we actually weren't playing? the right tactics in this style. I, I don't know. I don't know what the hell happened here, uh, to be honest. I think the, you know, the, the even the first half, while we were in control, we were not, you know, I, I don't think it was an extraordinarily dominant first half. Um thought we played pretty well, but, you know, it wasn't like, you know, some of our other performances where it was just clinical and we were just all over them. And there was some short passes that came off and stuff like that, but, yeah, second half, there was just no energy. It didn't seem like there was any impetus to uh, go and attack their goal. And, yeah, when you do play like that, I mean, it, it will it will lead to situations that are, are exactly like I am Luckman is saying, where we need to eventually claw back. And I think it's just a difference from where, like, I view Chelsea to Liverpool and, and you know, really Manchester City is they they will kill a game off in the first half and then just be able to kind of trot around the second half without any real threat. We need to get to that spot, and we're not there yet. Yeah, the, the killer mentality or the killer instinct is not something... Um, and, you know, people might make the joke that ultimately, like, City are a band of mercenaries kind of established together. Um, but, you know, they, they have changed in recruiting... In, in, you know, recruiting talented individuals at the kind of midpoint of their career and grooming them upward. Um, and, and that's what we are trying to do with uh, getting like a Jorginho, getting a Conte, uh, getting a Kepa, who's maybe in the very early part of that career element. Uh, so like it will come, it's going to take rotation of players in addition to kind of the way that Sari grooms them to attack and take hold of the game as well. Like it's not just one simple fix to changing that. Like that's an entire culture change that has to occur. A huge shout out to A. Adam the Donut, the United fan getting in our comments saying, how will we do against Juventus? Well, you're going to get smashed. Juventus are on fine form. Uh, and then asks, is Mata going to start more games? He was involved in both of our goals. He is not a Mourinho favorite, but I want him to start in center attacking role to create chances. I mean, obviously, you're doing it wrong if you're not playing Mata in the number 10. Uh, we can tell you because we did it, and it was great. So there's that. Nick from Shane, two-part on Jorginho. One, why are there so few criticisms of his clear lack of pace and tackling ability as our deep-lying center mid despite the criticisms that Fabregas faced. And two, as an excellent passer, why doesn't he take our set pieces? I can answer too, Shane, uh, he can only pass on the ground, actually. It's a it's a well-known, it's a, it's a not a well-known fact about him. Uh, that's actually false because he has chipped a couple balls over. That could have been goals. Yeah, but they weren't, so that just proves my point. <laughs> uh, that, that, that was down to the finishing. I'm not uh, going to blame the not going to blame the delivery man when you uh, open your package and uh, you you win all the shit after the fact. <laughs> uh, uh, Nick, part, I love the one. first part of this. Yeah, it, uh, and and it makes a really good point. I guess I I think he is 
you know, he is a little bit more pace than uh, than maybe uh, than Fabregas does. But it it actually it brings up a good point because I think what we've come to expect from him is that he passes his way out of situations where his athleticism might betray him, right? So because he's able to make such quick decisions and get the ball forward in a spot where he can then kind of recalibrate and regroup, um, he doesn't have to run as much as an N'Golo Conte does. But, you know, at some point, and there was, I know there maybe a couple of the spots that you were that you were referencing yesterday, Shane, a couple of spots where he had to really track back. It, it did not look close uh, in terms of pace. And that's a real problem, uh, especially against teams that will, that will bring it against us like a city or a Liverpool or whatever. So uh, even though I think he has done a very good job this year of controlling the game uh, via his passing, it is something that, you know, could be uh, could be found out uh, if we if we don't get our uh, our act together. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he is uh, a little slow to the the challenge, but I mean, he also you know, does a really I think solid job of you know staring down the barrel of getting charged into and making some pretty tight and um, excellent passes around. Uh, again, you know, sorry, he wants short passes. He's not expecting everyone to be you know a long ball for. Uh, 30 40 yards so you know I think he could be an option on set pieces uh, that would be interesting I might like to see a little more of that um, because again uh, we don't score a lot off set pieces and so something needs to change whether it's the uh, people who are taking the set piece whether it's the people who are putting themselves in the spot to score off them um, there's a there's a little that needs to be worked on there because that is definitely an aspect of our game that is not um, you know, not polished enough to produce, especially when Eden Hazard. Like Eden Hazard is going to get fouled. He is going to get fouled in dangerous positions consistently during matches. And if we are not set up to capitalize on scoring on set pieces, then we are not taking advantage of a major opportunity uh, beyond just the fact that Eden Hazard scores goals and is great, you know, in his own right. Like there's an additional benefit for the fact that like, other players don't know what to do sometimes, so they'll foul him. He'll be in a dangerous spot. And then people are just laughing. It's like, oh, it's also not going to score off this, this set piece. Like, we basically, you know, hacked into the guy, made him suffer for a couple minutes, and now they're not going to score off the goal of the set piece. Like, we need to be dangerous in every aspect of our game. And so set piece kind of regimen and training and execution needs to be better. Just be better, right? Just be better. That's all we're saying. <laughs> Hashtag be best. Big underscore Nash 88 saying, one, Emperor Eden, two, King Conte, three, Boss Barkley, please finish the list for the team. So Dan, Nick and I are going to go ahead and log off now. We will let you wrap this one up with the rest of the 24 names on the roster. Oh man, that's uh, that's not good. That's not, that's not going to be great because not everybody deserves a really good one right now. Like, I mean, I, I think we got to be very honest there. Like Wild Willie, you know, like just... Mopi yeah, Murata. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we probably shouldn't do this. This is a bad idea. When we do these like games, whether it was like the Pokemon thing or like too much alliteration or Sispoliqueta 5,000 times in a season. Um, My man. You know, pe- yeah, pe- pe- people don't tend to respond well. So uh, maybe we'll do it on Twitter where people can uh, mute us if they, if they so choose. Yeah, you, right. just have to, you have to welcome the hate like I do. You just have to... Just, just let it let it wash over you because you know that you've Not done. Embrace the dark side of the force, Palpatine. I'm sorry. You've, you've done it. You've you've made someone question everything that they've ever loved, and that's what <laughs> I like to do. Well, here will be a layup uh, at smooth underscore one saying, "Look at Conte's average position. He was the furthest back of all midfielders according to the average positional map." And then the fact that he also made defensive plays up the pitch, plus his shot was a pretty good effort too. Is it possible Sorry, will ask him to do it all and work entire midfield area in his system? Yes, Steve. That is exactly what any manager will ask N'Golo Kante to do. It's just do everything. Just be everywhere at all times. Can you do that? You can? Great. Love it. That's what you get with N'Golo Kante. Um, all right. Well, that's going to wrap up your social media questions. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here, uh, talk about World Soccer Shot. When we come back, uh, we're just going to chat real quick the fact that we have Bate and Burnley, another alliteration, coming up the rest of this week. So, Nick, World Soccer Shop time. 
That's right. Uh, Brandon will be posting our unboxing video sometime soon, this week maybe even, who knows, uh, which you will get to see all of the beautiful kits that have come in from, from World Soccer Shop. Uh, you can also get a discount on your uh, you know, Chelsea needs by going to worldsoccershop.com and using the code LONDONPOD for 10% off. Uh, they're just cool to us. We're happy to, we're happy to do it. We're happy to promote them and, uh, just, uh, do that. London pod. Do it. Do it. Just do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Ben Stiller. Remember wow. that skit? Okay, yeah. That's, sure well, now, you know, I, I get chat on for other things that I do. And then you do that. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, Dan. That's your problem. <laughs> Try being funny. <laughs> All right, I'm going to bring this back, guys. We're almost done. we got to bring this back before we wrap it up. Chelsea are playing Bate Borisov uh, on Thursday in their Europa League. So we are back at it. We went from no games to a lot of games back in one week. A doubleheader this week. I mean, Nick, I think this the obvious question is what everyone is looking for. Um, It's an away match, so it's going to be actually back-to-back away matches at the Borisov Arena. Um, you know, Bate's not doing great. Their last six matches, they've lost 4-1. They've won 2-0, beat Vidi, right, in the Champions League. So that, that should give you a little bar of where they're at. Um, they've lost to PSV. They've lost to Karabag. They're just, this isn't really like their form of the season. So with all that kind of being said, um, I know, sorry, it looks like he's going for the get enough points until we've clinched and then we can rotate. But based after on this result and having Burnley on Sunday at the weekend, do you think he's going to yet again make a lot of changes? I do. Um, Burnley away is one of the toughest matches, uh, away matches of our season. It's cold. It's miserable. They play a really physical style. Um, so we have to be ready for that. And I think to be ready for that, uh, Giroud will have to start against Burnley, which means by proxy that uh, Morata will see the field uh, on Thursday. And I think uh, some sort of mix, maybe Eden Hazard gets a better rest, William and Pedro start, or maybe, you know, maybe some someone else like Callum Hudson-Odoi could potentially see minutes, but obviously that's that's not been likely so far this season. I think the midfield gets mixed up. Uh, Ruben comes back in. Barkley starts, um, probably Jorginho or Fabregas will will come in. And then maybe you'll see Christensen. Maybe you'll see some Cahill action. Uh, You you might even see, Dan, maybe a little Emerson. You know, who knows? There's there's a lot of options, but I think they do need to uh, be really smart about who they use in the Europa League on Thursday because Burnley is going to be, you know, even though they're not as good as they have been in previous years, they're still going to be tough. So interestingly enough, in between uh, my tweets about the Boston Celtics being back and the Red Sox going to the World Series, uh, I did throw out a note that so from October 20th, uh, which was the other day, through November 11th, Chelsea are going to play seven matches in 22 days. That's one match every 3.1 or you know pi days. And you're going to have to see some type of rotation at this point. Uh, I think Christensen is probably one of the easier ones in addition to Barkley, uh, Kovacic, and then uh, Morata uh, and Giroud are probably the three quickest rotations that are going to occur over the course of these matches. And then it's a Zappacosta-Spilquita, a Emerson-Alonso situation, and then maybe the, uh, the Willian and Pedro swaps are going to be where you'd look to see most of the rotation happening. Uh, again, I, I think Sarri does like to work with a smaller squad, and have people he trusts and who have a great understanding of his system. So even as much as we want to see uh, Loftus-Cheek, who you know obviously is, is still potentially nursing a little bit of an injury, um, you know Hudson Odoi, who needs to play on the left. So if Hazard is getting a break potentially, you get maybe an opportunity to see him and uh, Ampadu, which would be uh, could go either in midfield or in defense, uh, would be great. But uh, it's going to have to happen at some point, whether Sari wants it or not. Um, it's just a question of how stubborn will he be uh, across these very, very narrow days off between fixtures. He's got to rotate. There's no way around it. He's going to have to eventually, so we'll see. Uh, that Europa League table has Chelsea in first with six points, Pauk in second on three points, Bate on, in third on three points with Vidi 
in last with no points. So again, these are all matches you expect Chelsea to win. If you just think, though, again, Burnley on Sunday away, um, you know, who knows when you get back from, from Bate Borisov. You know, there's not a lot of time to coming back. We, we've had these potential slip-ups, right, where you go away, you come back, uh, and they're just not 100% at it. But Burnley are in 13th, right, not having a great season. You know, they beat Cardiff, fantastic. Beat Bournemouth, which surprised everyone. But then they're drawing Huddersfield. They're losing to Wolves, newly promoted team. And they're getting smashed by Man City. This has to be a win. Without Europa League context, no matter what, this match, like you can drop points at, at Bate and it doesn't matter. You can't drop points at Burnley. The fact of the matter is the table is way too tight at the top right now. And there's zero room for error against a team like Burnley. And they're going to pack it in. They're going to make it difficult, but Chelsea have to go there and do the business. And so to me, I just, I don't care about Thursday. I'm so focused on not dropping points to more bottom of the half table teams like United, Nick. That's just, that's where I'm at. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think legitimately we could see Chelsea have 80% of the ball against Burnley, which is an absurd number that, you know, against a competitive team seems ridiculous, but they are so content to be counter punchers that we just can't get caught out like we did against United. Like that's what I'm really, I think most worried about. They are big, tall, strong. They have kind of a route one football type of uh, mentality. And and Sean Dyche is is no joke as an opposing manager. He's really good. So uh, I think we just have to be prepared for you know to uh, to let our you know our our rotation of our squad do the business against. Um, against Bate Borisov. And then, you know, I, I think Maurizio needs to have, you know, the players he knows will be starting against Burnley extra focused uh, to take care of business. And I know it sounds ridiculous that we're focusing so much against, you know, some of, of our energy against Burnley, which, you know, is 13th on the table. It is just a really hard place to play. Uh, Chris Axon, uh, who is a, a friend of the pod said that it is uh, when it's snowing and sleeting and raining, it's the worst you know, kind of weather away trip for the fans um, in uh, in the league. So um, it's it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a, a, a tough match, and I think the the team will just have to show up. Just show up. Just be better, guys. It's not difficult. We're trying to simplify just, here for everyone. Just be better, guys. <laughs> Come on. All right. Well, again, the top four is the stand: City, Liverpool on twenty three, Chelsea, Tottenham. On 21 with the chance of Arsenal sprinkled in, depending on how they do tomorrow. So anyways, that is it. That's going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you so much for listening. As always, again, a reminder to, if you haven't listened to part one, go do that. And also be on the lookout for our JT, John Terry, Captain Leader Legend tribute. And what did you call it again? Post? Past? Are you trying to call it a post-mortem? Because that no. also would not be good. No. Yeah, it's, it's a retrospective. Retrospective. I was I couldn't figure out the right past tense word to put together. Jeez, Dan. Anyways, it's going to be great. A ton of Chelsea fans and uh, you know media journalists that you all recognize will be in there. Uh, it was great. We had we had men, we had women, we had Americans, we had internationals. You will love it. So make sure to take a listen. But you know what, Chelsea fans, that is going to wrap us up for this episode. As always, we thank you so much for listening. If you have questions or comments, get in touch with the show. We would love to feature you. But until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>